Hey folks, welcome to the Eat Wild Podcast. It's Dylan here. And in this episode, we're back in the wall tent, uh, wrapping up our whitetail camp. And I'm hanging out with Jeff, Pete, and Larry, and uh, who have a, you know, collectively they have a, over almost 150 years of hunting experience in British Columbia. Now, we thought it'd be interesting to talk about some uh, some perspectives of the habitat change, wildlife populations, and, and even um, hunting pressure uh, over that lifetime of hunting uh, and bring that perspective to, to you guys in this podcast. So um, with that, though, there's definitely some, it's, there's some moments it's a bit discouraging because they're benchmarked for uh, what wildlife looked like um, 20, 30, 40 years ago is significantly different than what we're experiencing now as new hunters. So it's great to have the perspective. It's, it can be, it's a little bit uh, discouraging at times, uh, the discussion that we're having. But I hope you guys enjoy it and, and uh, take away some um, important uh, pieces to uh, learn about conservation and uh, where we've come from. Now, if this, uh, if you guys are motivated um, to do something a little bit about the conservation challenges that we have in British Columbia, particularly around our wildlife populations and habitat loss, uh, we're getting together with the Eat Wild community on January 31st in the Vancouver area. Uh, we're bringing in Jesse Zeman, who's um, uh, an expert on uh, on some of the challenges that we've been facing in terms of uh, wildlife management issues here in British Columbia and what we can do to advocate for improved wildlife management and habitat protection. So Jesse's going to lead the discussion. I'll be there, and hopefully a whole bunch of new hunters and folks who want to add their voice to uh, conservation effort here in British Columbia will be there as well. So please come out and join us. That's the 31st. It's in East Vancouver. You can find out about the event on our Facebook page or on our web, website at uh, eatwild.ca. Anyways, I hope you guys enjoy this podcast. I just want to again thank uh, Pete, Larry, and um, Jeff for providing their perspectives. And uh, I think it's a lot of fun and any chance to sit around with these guys and, and have a chat about this stuff is uh, super valuable. So I hope you enjoy it. Last beer, so okay. We're Larry. I wanted to do a, a, a podcast on. Um, have you started it? It's rolling, but we haven't started. We haven't done the introduction yet. But I, I thought, I mean, this is this year above all years has been. Well, last year was a tough year too, because I think we I didn't get one. Yeah, well, okay. you didn't get one. Pete, last did you get one? Didn't get one last year? No, I finally chose to take a little fellow. Okay, not the fellow I was looking for. So when I left, I was the only guy that left that had a deer. Yeah. When you left. And that was right. the 14th or 15th. Right. I didn't get one. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's, uh, that's a, that, that, I, that was my first year I didn't get a deer. And how many years, Larry? Since I started in 1951. So I shot my first buck in 1951. A Vancouver Island. Jeez, I was born in 1951. Oh. <laughs> no. God, I was born in 45. You guys are old. You're young. <laughs> Children. I was 12 when I shot my beer, deer in, in 51. I was 9 when I shot mine out the bedroom window. 
shot it with Dad's thirty out six Remington pump. Huh. So, so I thought it'd be fun to. Well, I've got yeah. you guys here to do a, a, a little a podcast on just the changes in populations that we've seen, particularly in the valley that we're hunting, as an example of just what's sort of happened. And with new hunters coming online now, I mean, I remember there's some good old days when I first came here. There we had a some years that were incredible as well the number of deer that were coming into camp. And then now, how we hunt is much different. Also, our hunter success rates are maybe similar success, but probably we're a lot better at it now. But overall, like the new hunters that are coming in are struggling to get deer. And we're seeing landscape changes to the habitat in terms of logging and other uses that are happening around here, which is all having an effect on the population. So I just thought it would be interesting to have a conversation about what you guys have seen over your lifetime of hunting here, um, how successful or how many deer there may have been in years past, and then be interested to think about you know what it's going to be like as you guys are, as you're, as you're doing now, you're passing on the torch to this new younger group of hunters who are you know, often leaving here without deer, which we're seeing with, I guess, who's going, I think Ben's the only one going home with the deer out of our, yep. out of the five new hunters that are were here for you know, three or and four or five days. that was only because he was taken to the right spot at, at a deary spot. Well, he also was willing to sit in the deary spot, which yeah. some of our well, partners yeah. are looking are at. Not, are not, 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 not sitting in deary spots. Well, <laughs> my uh, biggest uh, thing uh, is hey, finding hey. new spots. But don't, don't blame it on the new hunters because there are veteran older hunters here who won't go up a tree and sit patiently in a tree stand. Yeah, refuse to do that. He's waving he his hand over there. Yeah, and it's quite productive. But I in the fun. long run, I get as many deer by still hunting as you get by sitting in the tree. I, or over the more. years, way more. Yeah, was by still hunting or hunting, but the seat or spot and stock or. But twenty when I when I so I'm, I started doing this about thir- almost not quite thirty years ago. But when I first started hunting here, we all walked around or sat on it on a migration trail, I guess. And most everybody would kill two deer, for no, the most part. No, 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 no. For a bunch no, of years. No, 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 no. Back in the old days, so this is, I, there I was have years pictures, we, and I won't. No, I don't. And I won't allowed, say a word. You're not allowed to put this on here. I'm not going to say a word. The pictures don't lie. That the better hunters got the deer. Period. Even way back when there was lots of deer, they still didn't. They weren't whitetail hunters, which is the big difference. They were too fast in the bush. They were making too much noise. I don't know what they were doing because I wasn't hunting with them. I hunt by myself. Yeah, but, but then some of them adapted to uh, sitting on trails like Jay trail. with his yeah, migration yeah, trail there. True, and, and he did all right. Yeah, just piled yeah. them up. Yeah. But but there was years back there when there was when we were new to whitetail hunting. There was no white. There was although no we had trip, much yeah. more skill hunting than maybe the new guys now. Uh, when we didn't do very well, right? Like we had years of skunks yeah. back in the eighties. Eighties. When there was way more deer here than there is now, yeah. but we still had skunks. That was probably it could have been due to weather conditions that we couldn't come here at the appropriate time. I think we came here at the same time. 
Yeah, I know. We were always here for the 15th, which is near enough to the peak of the Whitetail. Actually, we might have come earlier than that in, in the earlier years. Right. We didn't own any of those old cattle. Right. We didn't. Well, I've only had two skunks here, and they were both the last two years. Yeah. So I had a skunk last year, and I've had I've had skunks before, but not for a long time. And we had a couple years when we actually we went to the Kootenays because we just sit the hell with yeah. it here. Yeah, right. Well, in the when I started here in '63, it was easy to shoot the mule deer because mule deer, right. you could shoot anybody. Yeah. So it became different, very difficult as the population of muleys went down, right. and then you could only shoot four-pointers. Right. So as we're here so, shooting so, a four-point now, then... So it's really difficult. It and is I, difficult. And I did see uh, bucks, but they weren't four-points. Right. On this trip, I saw bucks, right. Right. And they, but they weren't four-points, and I never... Did I see a... Oh, I saw one four-point, yeah. I never saw one. It was for sure... I had a big rack on it, and it was only uh, 40 yards away. But I only got a glimpse of it. So, so, but we came, we came here just fooling around mule deer hunting. Right. I mean, if we really wanted to go mule deer hunting, we wouldn't come here. Right. We just come here because we come here anyway, and it happened to be, have an opportunity to maybe get a decent mule deer. Right? Well, there's a, there's some fantastic mule deer here. Well, one of the things they're, is because they're, they're not hunted, right? The genetics. They're not hunted. I've seen some of the mule deer that used deer that were pulled yeah, out of here, yeah. bucks that were pulled out of here, forty years ago, and they're monster racks. So, but so that the thing population is, now, is way down now. They have those genetics here, and they're not basically they're not hunted at all, like for any part. So there's a reasonable opportunity for some big bucks to, to survive around here, yeah. and so it's a chance you can maybe you can find a really spectacular buck because it'd be very difficult. Well, they don't live anywhere in the where their summer range is to where their winter range is. It's not very huntable. A lot of places have been there. <laughs> And we're trying to catch them somewhere in between, or maybe on their summer range if they get, or the winter range if they get here, in time. In time yeah. for the before the season closes, but right. it's not. They so they do stand a chance of getting big. Yeah. But I well, think there's if you run to dedicated a week to mule deer hunting, you probably should go somewhere else. Right. Yes, definitely. Well, the white tails are a relatively new thing. They didn't used to be here. Right. And then the population so when, so when skyrocketed. The, so when did the mule white? When was that transition between? The mule deer in this valley over to whitetail. Well, as far as I'm concerned, it must have started when I started hunting here because I didn't see any whitetails when I started hunting here. But it wasn't very long into the 70s. Then then the whitetails were there. And I wasn't hunting them because I didn't know they existed. Yeah. But I, I started running that, into them. I have friends and that then, come here specifically to hunt mule deer in 19, early 70s. This is the same, so about the same story as Larry, though, right? And used, to, same time and used to take home two mule deer each on top of a Volkswagen, 1972 Volkswagen bug. Uh, Ron shot his first whitetail in 1973, and it was a, a three-point spike. And they grew exponentially from then on to they became a two deer area here for whitetails specifically. Whitetail bucks. Yeah. yeah. So when and did the whitetail bucks get, or the whitetail season, or whitetail population, sorry, get uh, sort of grow exponentially? High? Well, 80s. Yeah, in the, early 80s, the 90s, early 80s. 90s, too, the early yeah. 90s. Lots of them. Yeah, there was. Yeah. Lots and lots of them. You, you just had to yeah. sit on the side of the road in a blind. Yeah. And, and you... The logging truckers used to kill probably 30... 30 
some nights on the migra when the migration was in real full stream, the road from Jup to here would be littered with carcasses. I, re I remember that one. Yeah, you, yeah. You know, it was scary kid. driving yeah. out to go hunt in the morning. Right. Yeah, some morning. And this morning, I finally saw a white-tailed doe bolt across the road in front of me. Well, last year, <laughs> last year I don't think I saw any. And all the time yeah. we hunted here, right. I don't think I s saw, one, saw one on the road. I've seen quite a few this year. So, so for so years, conditions change from year to year. So for years, we always, I always assumed that what we have been seeing is is warmer and warmer falls. It, it seems to be warmer falls, mm. or what I recall there being that migration into the valley. Those were cold mm. early winters, yes, and we were. we would see yeah. these deer flush down into the valley, and and then there'd be the migration was on, and there'd be a high success rate during that period. Now we. I, I, with this, we had an early onset of winter here with a significant amount of snow in the high country, so I anticipated there being some sense of a migration this year. And there's been a few years in the was. past 10 that where I thought maybe there'd be some type of migration coming down. There's but, nothing. But there is, there hasn't been. But there was a, well, there's this a small year, migration now. Yeah, there is now. Yeah. But they've now. all stopped because the weather condition has yeah. gotten nicer again here. So the deer... Stop moving three well, days the temperature, ago. They temperature just, yeah, it's like they, yeah. they migrated the one right. day when it snowed. Right. And the time, right. four or five days before that, they migrated for a day two. And then they quit. But they stop where they, they are. Because they can out. still feed. I guess yeah. that's what they do. Yeah. yeah. And then so long as they stop in a place that's got lots of... Lots of food. Ground cover. Food. Yeah. Which? Yeah. Which there still is around here. There's still some... Well, there's still, still some summer range. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I don't know if there's some range. I mean, that was one of the things that we we interpreted when the big, the big high number. Well, when we had high numbers of deer, there was a lot more timber up on the plateau, which would be their summer range. Right. And there was a, there was a significant effort by the loggers to nucleate, to remove all the trees on the higher country here, yeah. and I think that's had an overall impact on. Well, when I first started piece. hunting here, the logging was all selective. So the forest was intact. Basically, the forest is, was intact. So you had all of these um, uh, roads into the forest to access the selective logging. And we used to drive those roads or walk them. And the roads grow over after a few years. Then you have to walk them. Then you abandon them. But nevertheless, the habitat was diverse. Okay, There's, All the habitat was intact. And so... For a while there, everyone advocated selective logging. And selective logging, there were lobbyists in the Wildlife Federation and everywhere that advocated selective logging. But selective logging doesn't suit the multinational corporations. They want to clear-cut everything and then replant all one species, the same age group, so when they harvest down the road, yeah. it's all exactly the same. And they're all the same species, and they're all the same size. And they can inventory and they can build their economics for that purpose. But we shouldn't be doing that because we're destroying all the other values. And yep. there's not just hunters. There's the wildlife that hunters don't harvest. They're driven out. People, the general population is opposed to trapping. But all the fur bearers are gone because the habitat is destroyed. So trappers' territory is lost. Now, a lot of the trappers are First Nations. They're aboriginals. 
So their their trapping territory is totally destroyed. Yeah. And so everything has changed all for one purpose, logging. Yeah. And and, and fiber. Yeah. And that's yeah, it's not even logging anymore now. No. It's just fiber production. Yeah. And it's and all it's for really big sad. international companies that doesn't it's really sad. employs nobody almost. And we've turned all of the administration to them. We used yeah. to have forest professional foresters that went out and looked after things and other values. Well, a little bit. We, at least it was an effort. But there it was an to, effort to do yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, that, that's what's breaking my heart this year after having Is spent... Is this a hunting conversation or are we getting on to spieling about politics? Well, I don't... No, 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 no. But, I'll but, leave. Uh, but no, but the, the, the important thing is, and what we've seen this year, and, and, and even over the course of this podcast, we'll probably hear a couple logging trucks go down the road. Oh, maybe it's just late enough that they're Too quit. Late. They're gone. They're quit. They're quitting. But we, we're hearing a steady stream of logging trucks going by. Every road that we would normally go up and hunt has logging, tra- logging truck traffic coming out of it. And there's significant logging cuts to what we've hunted as winter range. We've hunted old growth stands, not even old growth, just, just mature stands of fir and pine that deer migrate to to survive the winters and, and hang out. <clears throat> and, it's, and it's been removed, so it's no longer there. So years ago they removed the summer range. In the upper in the upper plateau, and now we're seeing, I would say, thirty percent reduction in summer range in some of the areas that we would traditionally hunt. Maybe more. Um, in this in the last three months of logging, they've just targeted this winter range, and it's and it's not just here. It's when I was hanging out in the Okanagan guiding, they were nuking the hell out of all the fur and, and stuff on the low, lower slopes where it's all winter range, and it's 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 it's, it's dramatic, and I, I'm 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 concerned. It's going to have a well, we should be concerned because we're the consumers uh, at a different level. We're hunters, but we're also fishermen, anglers. We love salmon fishing. So the habitat, because the habitat has been clear-cut, the, the, all the water in the streams and rivers fluctuates. The, the flow rate is not what it used to be. It used to be fairly constant. Sure, you're going to have spring runoff. You're going to have floods. But because you had a forest, and even though the forest had selective logging, it still absorbed water and it was a sponge. And the water was released over a long period of time. So the, flow, the, the levels in all of the streams was, more, was far more constant. Now we got wide variations. So we, we, what we're doing is we're seeing all of the forests go to one dedicated purpose. Right. And I don't understand it. I do. Money. Pardon me? Money. Yeah, of course, but it's, it's, it's killing everything and well, wiping everything out. Well, it's a lack of awareness about it, right? And that, I mean, that's, that's one mm. of the... Yeah, there is a, there's the a lot. Anybody that has any interest in it knows about it. Okay, so but there's a so there's a lack of people who have an interest in it because they, they aren't exposed to it, they aren't exposed to the value, and they don't have an attached value to it. So I mean, it's one of the things that you, you guys have, have, have lived this life and have had developed an incredible passion for hunting and for the wildlife values and the forests that all come together to, to create this opportunity for you yeah. and you understand yeah. Yeah. the value that's here and you yeah. see the changes right yeah and but you're you're very there's very few people that actually hang out here to understand well, we're old enough too and you we're see you've seen the changes right we've seen like, the changes like the interior forest in the, the interior plateau the prince george quenelle 100 mile the whole interior plateau is basically logged. And so the Chilcotin area has really suffered. 
and the aboriginals in Chilcotin, they're oh, yeah. almost desperate because the habitat's gone. The yeah, biodiverse yeah. habitat it's incredible is not there what they've done there. Like it's incredible what it's, the, it's incredible. And you look at anybody who hunts looks at Google Earth. And yeah. I've been looking at Google Earth for what, 10, 15 years? And and it's amazing when you start to look. But we've got a biodiverse habitat that's basically still totally intact, but you have to go right up to the Yukon border. And then it comes down south. But if you go to Fort Nelson, it doesn't exist there. Because no. Fort Nelson has already got resource extraction on a major scale. Well, and it has so, that for and it has had years. for a lot of years. I mean, they shut down the fireboard yeah. plant there 25 years ago, but, 20 but, years ago. But you start going north of Laird, the Laird Hot Springs, yeah. and now you start, get, you start seeing habitat that's quite intact, that's original. And so I ask the question, how long is it going to stay like that? Because... It's, it's a vast region. There's a huge area still intact in the northern part of our province. And what I find amazing is that the average person in B.C. does not understand <coughs> that Prince George is in the southern half of the province. Yeah, They're just not aware of how much province there is north of Prince George. And They're not aware of how much province there is north of Chilliwack. Well, like 90% of the population of BC lives But we're aware of it because we hunt and we go there. <coughs> yeah. And we, we, we keep on searching for territories that are going to be productive. And this area here in the 60s and 70s and right into the 90s was highly productive. Highly productive. you got to remember, though, too, that this whole area was logged back in the 40s. 30s, 40s, 30s 50s. and 40s. Yeah. Yes. And but that's selective logging, not clear cut. <coughs> Yeah, it was it was quite different logging. They couldn't be bothered with it. Well, the selective logging leaves biodiversity. It, yeah. it, 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 it makes a it slight can, impact, yeah. but it's not a totally negative impact. It's it's actually can be quite positive because you the, the, the a dense forest is also a, a forest with far less biodiversity than a varied kind of a forest. But but. They were logging forest, the forest that was different forest than what we got now anyway. Because mm -hmm. they were logging what was mature old growth. Old growth fir. Douglas fir grassland forest. Yeah. And so when they logged it, they took out only the good trees. They left all the littler trees, which only, you know, so in the 40, 50 years, yeah. you know, they grow up. Yeah. And they still filled in a lot of that grassland forest. Like it was, it's much more dense and forested than it was originally. But not completely destroyed. Well, now they replant it with jack pine. Well, I mean, you might as well just, like, for anything other than growing trees, it's completely useless. Kind of, yeah, Nothing else benefits from that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you just take the insects, for example, in the, in the original forest, the forest that was selectively logged. There's all kinds of rotting logs and vegetation in, on the forest bottom. And those, all those rotting logs have got all kinds of insects in them that the birds feed on. All, there's all kinds of critters feed on those insects. Well, now look what they do. They're clearing the land <coughs> basically, and some of the some and pushing everything into a pile and burning it. And sure, there's a little bit of forest litter left on the ground, but it doesn't it doesn't produce insects and wildlife. Well, then they plant jackpines on it anyway, so it doesn't really you know it, it's basically it's yeah, just screwed. devoid of yeah. of insects. So anything else? Anything else? So so one of the so one of the good things about so we have seen an increase in hunters, new hunters, or interest in hunting. 
mm-hmm. one of the things that I'm seeing is that you know as a hunting educator that that there are a lot of people interested in hunting but they're going out and they're actually hunting and they're and they're, and they're challenged by actually having success because there isn't there I mean the opportunities are, are not there's they're not great right now I mean because there's been a, I think we're in a low cycle of deer in, across the province and there's a higher level of hunting pressure for those limited populations of deer but the one thing that people might be starting to notice is that the the rationale the reasons for that depleted population is the landscape level resource management decisions that we're making as in logging nuking the whole province for yes. one value yes and i'm hopeful that with people taking an interest in hunting that they're seeing the devastation that's happening yes and that they're more willing to advocate and you know take action against you know and, and write letters and and just have an interest you know yes then, absolutely and i'm and i mean the, and with sort of the that's all very nice, but basically, uh, BC is all the log. It doesn't matter. There's nothing you can do now is going to make a goddamn bit of difference whatsoever. If you look at Google Earth, just recently put on this feature, your your time lapse Google yeah, Earth. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just watch it. Just yeah, look at yeah, it. Look yeah, anywhere here, anywhere in the Chilcot and Caribou Central Timber Supply Area, and it's just the log slices just go woof right across, and it's all gone. There's not a tree left anywhere. I know. Well, so the so nothing, there is no hope for another shit fifty years, but they intend to log this all again long before that anyway. Yeah, and there'll be no reason not to log it because there won't be another living thing in there except a jack pine tree, if we're real lucky and it doesn't all get wiped out with a pine beetle before they can even get to it. Yeah, this is true, but there is, I mean, there still is some remnant forest across BC, and I think it's something that we where, well, I I look for it all the time. Everywhere I, mean, I go, I, I find this. Yeah, it's all got flag and tape around it with the log road here signs yeah. and you know cutting boundary signs on it. So that's so when I get back to Vancouver after this month off, I mean that's something that I need to take action on is to talk to the biologist, talk to my contacts at BC Wildlife Federation, and start having a conversation around like, are we going to continue to log uh, old growth or or deer winter range? And I think that we we there has been campaigns such as the Great Bear Rainforest campaign that has stopped logging in the Great Barrier Rainforest in certain areas. I, I think it's something that we need to start talking about. we got a new government in place that, you know, may be willing to make forest policy that might save a few of these pine trees so that at least the odd deer has somewhere to sleep. The exact park. same thing has happened on Vancouver Island. The yeah. deer populations have plunged because there is no habitat for deer on Vancouver Island whatsoever. It's all gone. And it's got nothing to do with Well, the habitat is right in Arrington and Parksville and Qualicum. It's right in what, where you the urban area deer, is, and they, and they live right in there with people now. Well, they always have. I know, but now you've got, now you've got even but more. But they're the only deer now. I know. Yeah. You know, up, but Pete, I, I've got to agree with Pete. The pressure of the expanding population, and the fact that the economists all want growth. They yeah. want they want economic growth, and to have economic growth, particularly the realtors, they have to have more and more people wanting to come and move here. Well, this has and been so, the, so it's it's they're really excited this when has there's been more the and more that, people that move in here. This has been the whole the economic growth goes up, but they all place more demands on resources. Well, yeah, the whole basis of Western economy is is the growth, which basically started with the the European invasion of the Americas, right? And you know, a huge economic boom because you had all this vast lands and resources. Well, Dylan is here. Dylan's Heat Wild program is doing us a disfavor because he's increasing the number of hunters. Well, 
Uh, I don't know if I am or not, but no, you want it more and more hunters because then they understand the conflicts. That well, are involved. That, that's I mean I think that's here's why it's why manage parks for a living, and for years, BC parks uh, visitation was going down. Part of the reason is that I don't know why parks fell out of favor. Also, when we came into a new government uh, twenty years ago, they kind of they really stripped. They they took the BC parks. Well, we were no longer called BC Parks, which was our brand name, which is a fairly significant brand. We had interpreter programs, which was our outreach program to yeah, I know. to yeah. build connections. They supported and, volunteer work. And well, they supported volunteer work. They built connections to the community. They brought kids out to the parks. All that stuff got cut. So the yeah. whole yeah. the whole connecting people to parks thing disappeared. You had staff dedicated to working with volunteers. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, and, and, and so people connected with their parks. They learned about the values. They appreciated their parks. So yeah, absolutely. When 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 our parks were under threat, whether it was from underfunding or whether it was from development, you know, the population that supported parks would advocate for continued preservation of our park system, and that all disappeared. Now we've been very fortunate that, that for whatever has happened, I, I I think that it's largely uh, a product of Instagram and Facebook is that people post the images of their adventures out. Uh, in parks mm-hmm. and there's these beautiful images of people out there camping and having mm-hmm. a good time with their families and friends and people go wow that looks amazing i want to go do that mm-hmm. so that outreach component that we used to do internally is now being done through social media and people see the amazing experiences you can have so and so they're going out and, and, and they're and and so we've seen like uh, extensive growth in park visitation in the last five years because mm-hmm. of this which is fantastic so that also means that We've just, for the first time in my entire career of 20 years at BC Parks, we saw our first budget increase in 20 freaking years mm-hmm. leading up to this last election because there's enough people that give a shit about parks and it's demonstrated by the increased visitation mm-hmm. and, the po- and, and, and this general interest in it. All of a sudden, we saw new park rangers, new money coming into parks, which is great. It's mm-hmm. important that we're investing in it. Mm-hmm. So the relevance of parks has increased. Now, hunting, more so than anything has suffered from a, a branding issue or a perception issue and a lack of interest in yeah. it, and, and, and support uh, politically for what we do as hunters. Yeah. From the politicians, but also from the community, of people understanding what we're doing and why we're doing it. So we've seen an upswing in interest and support in hunting. And I don't, I don't know if that's a social media thing because people see, hey, people are out having adventures, well, harvesting their own meat. Or if it's people having different expect or different understanding of where their meat comes from and wanting to change their ethics or wanting to follow their ethic around taking responsibility for where their meat comes from and going out and getting themselves whatever the motivation may be, more people are becoming interested in hunting than we've seen in probably thirty or forty years back in the eighties was the last time that hunting was had those interested in hunting. Mm-hmm. So. With that, I think that that's a positive thing, that interest, because we're more relevant than we've been in a number of years. And I'm hopeful that will lead to some interest from politicians to take policy changes around how we manage wildlife values. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm hopeful for. So that's the big the big picture. And maybe we'll get there. Well, there's a, there's a desire on the part of every or all kinds of young consumers who are busy in their jobs to connect with nature 
and and if you become a hunter you're connecting with your old roots and your connection with nature because you're going to you're going to be immersed in nature when you're out hunting and so this is a, a an urge that all of us have it's an instinct and we 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 want to harvest from the wild because it keeps the game populations up if we have more supporter mm -hmm. of hunting and hunting as long as we have harvestable populations and as long as we've got scientists and biologists who are working on population management and habitat preservation then we're going to preserve the harvest because it's the population is stable and we're not reducing the numbers by through the harvest the harvest has to be carefully monitored and regulated and it all has to be done scientifically not emotionally and so as long as we take our protein from the woods from the, our wilderness areas we don't have to clear land to grow more crops because the minute you clear land and start growing crops you're doing the same as the clear cuts yeah. the land is dedicated for one single person per purpose and you don't have the biodiversity that you have out in the wilderness forests. So and it's so what's really important to keep that biodiversity. Well, I, you're, you're, so what's interesting about this, Larry, and I just, the thought that popped into my head is that a lot people are hunting and continue to hunt even without having success. They continue for a little while because it's a it's a hobby type thing. It's a bit like skiing or something. You know, you don't have to cook any dinner. But I think that, you know, really, people vote on economics. Like, science, science your political science, I'll tell you, that's, that's it. That's what people vote for. Nobody much, there's no economics in hunting. What, have we got 100,000 hunters in British Columbia or something? Yeah, we just crept back up we over 100,000. We crept 100, up from 80,000 to 100 yeah. or something. But, you know, economically, that's nothing. In that same time, you know, since, you know, what, you know, back in the olden days when you could actually find something to shoot, you know, there was, uh, Christ, I don't know, a million and a half people in B.C. Now there's, what, four and a half million or so? Yeah. It's, you know. 100,000 strong, though. Yeah, we're getting there. Well, the, the, there are changes with each generation. Um, my grandfather was born in 1892. And he died at age 74 and I was close to him he loved fishing and he loved uh, bird hunting he didn't shoot he didn't go big game hunting he just loved the shotgun the dog and hunting birds waterfowl and upland both and uh, he loved fishing but it was river fishing and he fished the, sh the Charlottes he fished rivers on Vancouver Island and he grew up with that. And he, had, he's, he told me his stories. Well, his stories were about the bountiful salmon that choked the river. The steelhead. He was an avid steelhead angler. And he used to go down from his home in Courtney and walk to the Puntledge River and pull steelhead out one after the other when he was young. Yeah. And what are we, what's happened to steelhead? Well, they're decimated. Well, why? Well, the Puntledge, there's a, they built a dam in it. 
a hydroelectric project. And the hydroelectric project impacted not only the steelhead, but the Tai salmon that were famous for the Pontledge River. So the whole river was more or less destroyed. Then a tributary of the Pontledge is the Solom River. Well, Mount Washington Mine was opened up as part of a stock market ploy, <laughs> and it killed the Solom River. Yeah. The leachates that came out of that mine were toxic to all the fish and all the aquatic life in the Solom River, and it was wiped out. So we don't we don't look to the consequences very well at all, and we, that's just one small example. That's a microcosm. It's a microcosm. Every, Everywhere you go, every that's what's single, happening. Every single watershed from California to the Alaska border, at least, because they have a few, street, a few streams still in the Togan, Togan Grass Forest in Alaska, southeast of Alaska that have been not been touched. Every other single watershed has been logged. Every one. And it's, there's no question whatsoever that that's completely destroyed salmon. And there's no interest or likelihood of anybody ever doing anything about that. No, it's, 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 well, it's, so looking ahead, so, I mean, this is a doom and gloom podcasting effort here, but I think it's important for people to understand that where we've come from and where we're heading as, as a community. Um, but I mean, I am optimistic that with more people, we're, we're going to have a little bit more awareness about it. So if you were a new hunter, where would you be focusing your hunter efforts so that you weren't sort of chasing a history of like, you know, if you cut, like I don't think here is like, you know, hunting where, where we've been, the valley we've been hunting for years is the reason why we're still here is not because there's good hunting. No. It's because we all like to get together here and hang out together. And it's a very, very, it's becoming a more challenging hunt every year, which we kind of all enjoy because most of us have, you know, got an elk or a moose earlier in the season. So we're not, we're not really hunting for meat. We're just hunting for the challenging experience. And then of course the community that we get to hang out with in our camp here. Yes. So, so looking ahead, if you were a new hunter, you know, and, 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 and recognizing the limit, the, the challenges we have is, uh, you know, with, the, with the logging and other landscape, you know, uh, landscape planning has happened. That's not maybe, maybe best for, Production. What, 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 where would you be? Where would you be focusing your your efforts as a new hunter to try and fill your freezer or have some success? Where would you go, Larry? Well, there are there are all kinds of choices to be made, but um, unfortunately, a lot of the best hunting for me in the in in my later years has been accessing areas that are really difficult to access and you've done it with your float plane hunts and it doesn't really matter to you or to me if we harvest an animal what matters is the enjoyment of the experience yeah. the it's, just experience. An adventure. it's adventure hunting and so it doesn't matter if these new hunters harvest or not and it's a shame that they can't have the bountiful harvest that that Jeffrey and I and Peter had when we started hunting. But it's different now, and they shouldn't give up on anything. They should persevere. 
and the enjoyment is still there because look at us we're still doing it and we still enjoy it it doesn't matter that so much that the harvest is down well i find it disheartening oh sure it is it's, we're, we, we, like I'd say, from my perspective, we, we like know, we know what fishing, it once was. Fishing is all over; it's done. Like from anything that we can remember, it's done. And hunting is very close to that. Maybe not quite, but as the uh, as the Central Interior uh, uh, pine tree harvest of the last 30, 40 years is all growing up. Like anybody that thinks that moose populations are going to return in the Central Interior is just smoking something weird. <laughs> Same thing for the whitetail here, because this is all going to be just a giant jack pine plantation. Yeah. There's no hope of a recovery. The Kootenays is the same deal, maybe even worse than here. Uh, so where is there? There's an odd elk and moose further up north, but I mean, we're talking tiny numbers. Mm -hmm. Like, not of any consequence to anybody, except, you know, somebody's willing to pay a lot of money and go to a hell of an effort to go on a hunting trip. Yeah, which is what we do every year. Yeah, we do it, because we... Our, our uh, you know, that's that's what we do. But if you want a hobby, uh, like, I'd go and do something that's not nearly as disheartening. <laughs> Which true. is why I have never encouraged, my kids haven't shown a lot of interest in hunting and fishing a little bit now and then. But I, I've never encouraged them because it's, it's a dead thing. It's all yeah, it, it's difficult. I mean, especially if you have, if you, and if your benchmark is going back 50 years, or thirty years in your case, and you know fifty years, like it, it, it is disheartening to see, and and it's disheartening to see these, these giant logging slashes everywhere I go, and I'm like, wow, I gotta like, you know, I gotta make an effort to like, see if there's anything I can do to like keep a couple trees on these hillsides, but yeah, I mean, it, it is disheartening, but I guess the positive thing about all this, and and knowing that, you know, Andre and Dan are gonna go without a deer, and Shelly went home without a deer this year, Dave went home without a deer. I mean, the, the thing is, they're all going to be here next year, right? And and I guess that's maybe a reflection of just still the adventure and the experience and the hanging out and the walking around in the woods with even just the chance of maybe getting coming home with a deer well, is good enough. You well, know? I, 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 I've taken some vacations in Europe after Catherine and I retired. We went to Europe, and I saw European anglers sitting on the on the riverbank or standing and they were fishing and I went and talked to them and these are dedicated anglers Ooh. because they hardly ever catch a fish their grandfather had the catch one here I've been trying but they, <laughs> yeah. they really enjoy it then I went to, then I went to Istanbul and in we went to Istanbul and in Istanbul we saw the fish markets and there are fish in the market there that you and I would throw away. They're little fellas. Wouldn't even use for bait. We wouldn't even consider we wouldn't, them. We wouldn't put them in an engine. We wouldn't even consider them. Roll them behind a flasher. And, and, and out in front of Istanbul, there are all these smaller boats, and they're commercial anglers harvesting these fish for the market. That's yeah. all they have. And so that's what they're harvesting. And they're bringing it up, and when you walk to the fish market, I, I, I was really interested because I'm an angler, and I want to see what it is they have. But the, the restaurants, the chefs, you go to a cafe, and you order the fish, and it's good. Of course it is. It's delicious. Yeah. And so 
our expectations here, we're spoiled. Well, we're, we're really spoiled because we have these expectations that are based on the past. And I've got these wonderful memories of standing on the bow of my boat. And I, I'm catching my breath because I see about six coho all going for my lure at the same time. The water's so clear. Which one's going to hit it first? Yeah. And I never see that anymore. Those days are gone. But they can still be there. You can still search and search and fish and fish and fish. And if you persevere no and fish. stay at it long enough, you will find a place. Because this year there was some good coho fishing off the yeah, west coast. Yeah. Where? Banfield. They had, I talked to people that did well. Oh, coho, coho yeah, sure Banfield. they got... Well, a couple days cold. there, and then we worked our asses off. But you, you, you know. it's not like the old days. You have to be there, and you have to constantly fish. Yeah, but you're and catching the last fucking coal. But that's an old man talking. You see, in Europe, those no, old the old guys told me this back when I was a kid. Of course, every old guy tells you the same thing. Yeah, but it, because it's all going down. It's all over. It's going down. It's all over. But all, it isn't over. All the salmon is just fucking dead, completely fucking gone. I, I think that well, this the whole, last, the whole Fraser watershed. I think is this lost. last year, this whole this last year, is like the end. There was no fish anywhere on the BC coast. The well, salmon, salmon can't go. There's no the salmon anywhere on the anymore because the water's too hot. They can't get up to the spawning grounds. It's too hot. They die. It didn't used to be too hot when there was lots of timber and forest in right. the watershed. They held some water and yeah, and the Fraser, the Skeena didn't have any salmon this year. The Skeena was kind of our right. last holdout. The well, Skeena had fuck all, nothing. No coals, no springs, no sockeye, no absolutely fuck all. It's usually bountiful as hell there. Alaska's doing a far better job than BC. Well, they have less development happening on their yes. watersheds. For sure. Yes. Anyways, I was trying to wrap up this podcast on a somewhat positive note. Did I mean, it is a difficult subject because it is something that we're all experiencing, right? And I, and I do want to just wrap it up here, but, um, you know, I think that the positive thing is that there's more interest in hunting. Hopefully, it'll translate to uh, more people taking interest in what's happening in our landscape. And and I and I I do think it's about managing expectations. And I talk about that in my hunting courses where I right the first thing I tell people is like, hey, it, it takes the average person 28 days to kill a mule deer in BC, 34 days of hunting effort to kill a white-tailed deer, and something like 56 days to kill an elk. So if you think you're gonna go and fill your freezer. Uh, by showing up and going hunting, you, you, the average hunter, and you're not the average hunter because you, you're, you're sitting here in a class, right? <laughs> now, if you take all my workshops and courses, wow, you'll be way above average. But, but uh, yeah, but the, the reality is it, it, it's not, I mean, there's a handful of people are very successful at the different, like, there's guys like Lance who are exceptionally successful at killing moose. And there's guys like Jeff and Pete who are very good at killing white-tailed deer. And, and the rest of us are, are, are you know, are, we're, we're struggling to figure out how to hunt different areas. And and in that, I think we have to manage our expectations that, hey, we're out here to enjoy the community, the company, to be out here in nature. And, you know, if, we, if we're successful, that's a bonus, I think. And, and But in the interim, we should be monitoring what's happening and taking action and, and doing the best we can. Anyways, we'll wrap it up there. And I appreciate you guys providing some perspective on what life was like pre-nucleation of our entire forest system here. And uh, we'll sign off there. Thanks, guys.